0: Section 14 of *Stupor Mundi*: The Life and Times of Frederick the Second by Lionel Alshorn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 7: The Years of Solace, Part 2. Side by side with these beneficent measures for the material welfare of his people, projects were carried out for their intellectual enlightenment it is this aspect of his rule which excites the enthusiastic admiration of milman that which if the constitution of frederick had continued to flourish if the institutions had worked out in peace their natural consequences if the house of hohenstaufen had maintained their power splendour and tendencies to social and intellectual advancement if they had not been dispossessed by the dynasty of charles of anjou and the whole land thrown back by many centuries, might have enabled the southern kingdom to take the lead and anticipate the splendid period of Italian learning, philosophy, and art was the universities, the establishments for education, the encouragements for all learned and refined studies imagined by this accomplished king. The University of Naples was his foundation and his especial care the most famous scholars of the day were invited to fill its professorial chairs its curriculum was extended to more liberal studies than that of theology which absorbed so much of the mental effort of the day the law which he himself had promulgated mathematics languages philosophy the treasures of greek and arabian learning aristotle ptolemy Averroes, by his orders translated into the latin tongue and rendered accessible to the students of naples all these found their votaries in the new university the weapons of the despot were enlisted to ensure its success no student was henceforth to study in foreign universities all emigrant scholars were to return immediately now that such ample provision was offered in their native country we keep the students declared frederick recounting the advantages that he offered to his subjects within view of their parents we save them many toils and long foreign journeys we protect them from robbers they used to be pillaged while travelling abroad they may now study with small cost and short wayfaring the cost of their lodging was fixed at a definite rate if they were in need of money the authorities would advance it at a low rate of interest and would not harass them for repayment until the years of study were completed To those students who showed exceptional promise, the king offered posts of honor and profit in his own service. The medical schools of Salerno were also fostered by his liberality and wise regulation. Here, Italians, Greeks, Hebrews, and Arabians might study in their own tongues. The works of Hippocrates and Galen and the study of anatomy were recommended by the royal patron, himself well versed in the medical knowledge of the day. The physicians who had studied successfully at Salerno were insured against the competition of the unqualified. No man might practice medicine who could not produce a testimonial from his professors and a license from the court of Salerno, and the probation of eight years must be spent before such a license could be obtained. Three years must be devoted to the study of logic and five to medicine and surgery. The graduate must then subscribe to many oaths, the most notable being to the effect that he would always supply free advice to the destitute. The king himself was first among his subjects in learning. Rarely in the history of the world has so accomplished a monarch filled the throne. In sheer genius, writes Freeman, he was the greatest prince who ever wore a crown. Six languages had been mastered before he had attained the prime of manhood. He could talk fluently in Latin and Greek, german italian arabic and hebrew with his philosophical problems called the sicilian questions he confounded the wise men of egypt syria iraq darub and tunis one philosopher ibn sabin was at last found in saracen spain who could answer them to frederick's satisfaction and he it must be confessed replied in a tone of lofty patronage you must know wrote this infallible sage, that all these questions of yours are already known here better than a beacon-fire. Another time you must throw them into a more obscure form, for we have Muslim doctors sharper than swords or scissors, men who are not true philosophers but mere wiseacres. These men are not first in these discussions, and they conclude that both questioner and respondent are fools. If these men knew that I had answered your questions, they would regard me as they do the problems, and then I might escape or not as Allah might direct. The science of mathematics was an open book to Frederick. He corresponded and exchanged problems with the most learned mathematicians of all countries. The illustrious scholar and astrologer Michael Scott, sojourned a while at the Sicilian court, attracted thither by the emperor's fame he dedicated a translation of avicenna's work on animals to his illustrious patron with the hope that it might be an ornament to the head of a chain to the neck of the lord of earth he also compiled a work on physiognomy at frederick's request which was one of the first manuscripts to be printed medicine and the natural sciences absorbed a great share of the emperor's attention he wrote a latin treatise on hawking and on birds of prey which portrays a knowledge of anatomy and ornithology which even our own day must regard with respect many and curious are the stories which are circulated by his enemies of the fearful lengths to which his ardent thirst for knowledge led him some of these are still available to us in the quaint wording of the chronicle of fra salembene one relates a gruesome instance of human vivisection He fed two men most excellently at dinner, one of whom he forthwith sent to sleep and the other to hunt, and that same evening he caused them to be disembowelled in his presence, wishing to know which had digested the better, and it was judged in favour of him who had slept. Another describes an experiment to ascertain the original language of mankind. He gathered several newly-born babes together bidding foster-mothers and nurses to suckle and bathe and wash the children but in no wise to prattle or speak with them for he would have learnt whether they would speak the hebrew language which had been the earliest or greek or latin or arabic or perchance the tongue of their parents of whom they had been born but he laboured in vain for the children could not live without clappings of hands and gestures and gladness of countenance and blandishments whether the experiment was pursued to fatal lengths is not clear another victim of frederick's curiosity according to salembene was one nicholas the fish a native of sicily upon whom his mother had invoked the amiable curse that he might ever live in the water and seldom come to land the man developed extraordinary powers of diving and enduring for a great while under water which phenomena excited the emperor's lively interest. He oftentimes sent this Nicholas against his will to the bottom of the Faro, and oft times he returned thence. And wishing to know in sooth whether he had indeed gone down to the bottom and returned thence, the emperor threw in his golden cup, where he thought the depth was greatest. So Nicholas plunged and found it and brought it back, whereat the emperor marvelled greatly but when he would have sent him again he said send me not thither i pray you for the sea is so troubled in the depths that if ye send me i shall never return nevertheless the emperor sent him so there he perished and never returned for in those sea depths are great fishes at times of tempests and rocks and many wrecks of ships as he himself reported he might have said to frederick in the words of jonah thou hast cast me into the deep in the heart of the sea and the flood encompassed me round about all thy whirlpools and waves have gone over me at frederick's right hand his chief minister and most favoured servant his adviser in the making of laws and the government of his kingdom and his friend in the hours of relaxation stood peter de Vigna. born in extreme poverty he had first attracted the attention of the archbishop of palermo who was so impressed by his unusual wisdom that he recommended him to the emperor's notice his rise to eminence was rapid his enjoyment of the royal favour long and his fall infinitely more tragic than that of wolsey the relations between master and servant were intimate a piedmontese tale relates how the emperor wandered one night into the bedchamber of peter's beautiful wife the rounded arms of the sleeping lady lay outside the coverlet and frederick gently covered them up and withdrew but he dropped his glove on the floor beside the bed and peter discovered it some hours later his suspicions were naturally aroused and he refused to speak to his wife she greatly concerned informed the emperor of her husband's inexplicable displeasure and both were summoned to the royal presence The three sat in silence for some moments, and then Peter broke out into impromptu verse. On a vineyard, another plant trespassing came, and ruined the vineyard, O villainous shame! The lady replied in a similar measure, Thy vineyard I am and still will be, for my vineyard was never untrue to thee. The relieved husband promptly made amends. If this be so, as she says, then I vow at the vineyard I'll love more than ever now. And forthwith he commenced a poem on the twelve months of the year to express the joy of his heart. His suspicions seemed to have been very easily allayed, but his trust was justified. Frederick, so far as we know, never sinned with the sin of David. His high conception of the dignity of his august position and his extreme natural jealousy withheld him from seeking his pleasures where he must share them, or at least succeed a lawful spouse peter de vinia was skilled in the making of poetry and has left to us the first sonnet in the italian tongue this gentle art so long neglected in southern italy held high sway at frederick's court and the emperor's cultivation of it has earned for him the title of the father of italian poetry bestowed by the greatest of italian poets the soft language of sicily which was to become the vulgar tongue of italy was chosen by the emperor and his courtiers as the medium for their songs the illustrious heroes frederick caesar and his noble son manfred says dante followed after elegance and scorned that which was mean so that all the best compositions of the time came out of their court thus because their royal throne was in sicily all the poems of our predecessors in the vulgar tongue were called sicilian frederick himself was a poet Who sung the charms of his lady and the beauties of nature, and a few of his verses still survive in the Italian Parnassus. His sons, Manfred, Enzio, and Conrad, contributed to the volume of song which resounded through his court. End of section fourteen.